Before we get into today's episode with Matt, I've just got some announcements. Today is our first episode of November, which means it's donation time. At Outer Rim Reads, I donate $1 for every patron we have at patreon.com slash outerrimreads to a charity at the start of each month. By the time I'm recording the intro, we have 12 incredible patrons, which means I've donated $12 to the American Civil Liberties Union, or the ACLU. Today is the general election in my state of Virginia, which has reminded me of how important it is to exercise our right to vote in any election. Unfortunately, in the U.S., the fight for the right to vote in of itself is threatened in many states, and the ACLU tirelessly works to support policies that make it easier for Americans to vote, such as expanding same-day and online voter registration. If you want to learn more about what the ACLU does, you can do so at aclu.org. I also want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible and allow me to do what I do to the very best of my abilities. I'm so, so grateful for you all. The fact that you've made room in your budget to support the show each month means the world to me. And as always, I want to give a very special shout-out to our patron at the Lothal tier, Simon. If anyone would like to join our patron family, you can get access to bonus audio and bloopers, our exclusive Discord server and monthly Star Wars trivia nights, exclusive merch, and more. So, if you're able, we'd love you to join for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com slash outer rim reads. We're almost done with part one of Light of the Jedi. It's been an absolutely wild ride so far, and there's so much to talk about. So I'll be doing another live Search Your Readings on Instagram Live on Thursday, November 18th at 6 p.m. Eastern. I'd love to see you all there and chat about the book so far, as well as answering any questions you have for me about the show or our coverage of part one. So if you have any questions that you'd like me to answer live, you can email them to me at outerrimreadspod at gmail.com with the subject line live Q&A. I'm looking forward to it. Now, let's get into episode 45 of Outer Rim Reads. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 45 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In today's episode, we'll be discussing chapters 13 through 15 of Light of the Jedi, and I'm joined by one of the co-hosts of the Wannabe Jedi podcast, Matt. Matt, how is it going? I am excited to be talking about Star Wars uh, especially the High Republic. It, those familiar with my podcast know I'm about the Old Republic, the, the the prequel to the prequels. I'm all for it, and I'm all for expanding the universe. So I'm really excited to be talking some Star Wars. Yeah, this is a great era to be diving into. Even though the first fifteen chapters of the book have been a roller coaster ride, uh, mostly downhill. But... <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, I love the the opening goes, uh, it's the golden age of the Republic, and you're just like, no, it's not. Where is it? Is it? Yeah. I'm still waiting, right? Yeah, it's like, why can't we just see, like, you know, like, butterflies flying around? Like, why can't we get open with, like, that and just pure happiness, not 
just utter disaster the striking, great you know. Disaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the greatest disaster of them all too. <laughs> yeah, it's been tragic, but you know, we do get some good moments in uh, at least chapter 13 uh when we get going about that, but it is a a rich and ripe era of Star Wars, you know, Hopefully we'll get to the light of the Jedi instead of just the tragedy of everything. But even before we talk about uh, the chapters that we've got today, for the listeners, could you give them a little bit about your background with your Star Wars fandom and then also specifically how you got into and started reading or listening to, as you are saying off, uh, off air, uh, Light of the Jedi? Yeah, my fandom started oh back before like kindergarten basically my mom actually was the huge star wars fan in my household and so she showed me a new hope empire strikes back return of the jedi all on vhs and that's like first got started and then we went to the lego side of things and so i was building star wars legos and everything and then it really took off when I got Star Wars Battlefront, the original from 2003, I think it was, or 2004, one of those two? I think so. One of those two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My sister and I would play that for hours on Saturdays. Like, starting at like 8 a.m., we'd be playing Star Wars Battlefront until probably noon. So that that really, the video game side of things really captured my enjoyment. That led me to exploring different avenues of Star Wars. Um, the Old Republic, as I as I cued in a little bit beforehand, is one of my favorite eras, and that's because of the video game Star Wars: The Old Republic. Sorry, Knights of the Old Republic. Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic also was one of the great ones. But I still my my heart. My top video game for Star Wars is still Star Wars The Old Republic. And so that got me really excited about The High Republic because we're starting to take that step back in time. And I think it allows us to really dive into new characters and different discoveries within like the Force. And one of the big things for me is the expanding the universe. That's like my big thing i hate when everything feels so connected which a lot of the current eras are they're all intertwined with everyone kind of knowing each other so for me it's been really good to kind of learn about all these new characters i actually have up uh, on one of my screens the high republic light of the jedi and i have all the characters listed and in, on the wikipedia and they all say first appearance and i love that because it's just a whole new clean slate to dive into. Yeah, I think in one of the previous chapters, like the only familiar name that I think that I've come across has been Yoda, which, you know, I think we already knew that he would be alive uh, at this stage. But you're right that this is like entirely new, you know, from the people and the places and some of this technology, even it's all just fresh and new. And, and I like that, you know, breath of fresh air because, you know, everything, you know, for better or for worse in the current canon or at least kind of, a, you know, in the current releases of like the Mandalorian and all that, they are like very interconnected with, you know, everything and in the Bad Batch of how, you know, certain characters would come across characters that, you know, we're already familiar with, but, um, you know, which not necessarily a bad thing, but I do like how this is totally untapped potential, which I'm here for. To quote Snoke, raw untamed potential or untapped potential. I think it was both of those, whatever it was. I I should know this because that that is 
you know, that is eight and one of my favorites. But yeah, no, it's not a knock on the current edition. It's just my personal preference of expanding the universe and giving us a, a, fr- a clean slate. It even goes as far as unidentified farmer. It's his first appearance as well. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't wait to come across the unidentified farmer. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that really spoiled a lot for you right there. Yeah, so. I feel like the book is ruined. Season's probably going to end right now. Exactly. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I do say you probably might be the first guest who's ever like actively quoted Snoke. So I really appreciate that. I, I do my due diligence. He... He's gone too. He was gone too soon. He was. I, I was not expecting that, but <laughs> yep. yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> but yeah. So you you mentioned how I listened to the Light of the Jedi. I personally, I have trouble reading things. I I just can't get into it as much, and I tend to retain things better when I listen to it. So I actually went. Uh, with an audiobook version of the Light of the Jedi, and it was really cool to see. Um, it's spoken to life, and, and it definitely kept me engaged throughout all of it. Yeah, I was uh, telling you off air of how I've heard that the Star Wars audiobook experience is like kind of like no none other in the audiobook uh, realm. You know how it really is a very complete experience from the, the sound effects and the, the voice acting and and all that. I've heard is fantastic, so I'm glad to see that it's continued with uh, Light of the Jedi, and I guess. Maybe by that logic, the rest of the High Republic releases that have dropped. But yeah, I'm yet to engage in my first audiobook. But I, when I do, I want it to be Dooku Jedi Lost. I've heard Ooh. great things. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be quite solid. I, I can see it. I, I just can picture Dooku's voice coming through and oh, that, that'd be epic. I, I, I support this. Yeah. <laughs> also, I do want to say that... Uh, <laughs> when you were saying that your mom introduced you to Star Wars, my mom introduced me to Star Wars as well. So shout out to all the Star Wars moms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I know that it's been it's been difficult for, for women, you know, in Star Wars that having to prove themselves, like prove themselves, I say quote unquote. Um, it, Star Wars really is for everyone. So I, I can definitely say that yeah. if it wasn't for my mom, I wouldn't have been into Star Wars. So Same. So <laughs> evidence right here. <laughs> but I can give my summary for chapter 13 and then we can talk about some really cool stuff going on with Loden Greatstorm and Belzedifar. Yeah. Loden Greatstorm and Belzedifar run to stop the attacking marauders before they're able to harm any more of the refugees outside the compound. Despite seeing two lightsaber-wielding Jedi running at them, the marauders stand their ground to fight. Deflecting blaster bolts left and right, Loden and Bell destroy the Marauder's blaster cannons and disarm many others. However, eight of them flee into the crowd of refugees, and the guards on the compound walls start firing on the Jedi below. Asking Bell to cover him, Loden deactivates his lightsaber and centers himself on the Force, reaching out and incapacitating the eight Marauders fighting their way through the crowd. Loden is also able to break open the compound gates, and the guards drop their weapons in surrender. As the refugees make their way to the ship within, the two Jedi sense a disturbance in the Force from Master Chris. From the previous chapters, I have come to realize that I really love the characters of Loden Greatstorm and Bel Zedifar, and we really see, I think, Loden 
shine through just like in action, just doing some really cool stuff in this chapter. But before we even get into the details, what were your thoughts on chapter 13 uh, as a whole? I honestly think it's a great way of identifying, not even identifying, but the Jedi really sticking to their core values that we kind of see obviously we know the the context of what happens along with the Republic and how the Jedi tend to lose their, or do lose their self identity um, during the clone wars. And so I think it's really awesome that we get to see the Jedi's selflessness and the care for everyone and watching that happen in 13 specifically. I mean, these are refugees they're not doing anything wrong, you know? They they literally are trying to escape from a terrible situation to begin with. So the fact that these Jedi are selflessly just going and pursuing evil to get it away, I, I it's great for me, at least. I, that That's one of my main reasons why I love it is it's a great trope of the Jedi. Yeah, I really, uh, I, I was impressed with their approach here uh, and really how indignant and kind of, I don't know. I don't want to say like angry, but how displeased they felt towards the guards and these marauders who were, you know, firing on innocence, and then the the guards, you know, turning back on their agreement with the Jedi. And I think how Bell and and I'll I'll get to this in a bit, but how he resolved to himself that yeah, these marauders are just they're evil. Like there's no other word for to describe people who fire on these helpless innocent refugees trying to escape. So, yeah, no, I, I was really impressed with their approach here. And as the chapter begins, even the way that Bell thinks about the lightsaber as a weapon here, he he's thinking about them as, quote, the choice of last resort, the art of the Jedi, you know, largely thinking on them as tools to maintain peace, you know, to end wars rather than to start this, you know, to start fighting. And he thinks of them to uh, to injure no more than necessary, to kill really only if the situation allowed nothing else. And, you know, you were comparing, you were drawing a comparison or a contrast with the mentality of the Jedi here to the mentality of the Jedi during the kind of the prequel era and in the Clone Wars. And I was really struck by his thoughts towards the lightsaber here. And I was wondering, do you think that changed later on where it kind of it's it's considered as a weapon of maintaining peace and using it really only as a last resort and do you think that changes later on, or, or am I only tarnished by thinking of Anakin and how he was just swinging left and right at any, at anything? It does feel. Uh, I don't think I don't think Bell's gonna go full, you know, youngling slayer on anyone. You know, I I don't I see not. that. <laughs> I don't see that at all. But I I think it is worth noting that that is the Jedi's practice. That is what their philosophy is. But the Jedi are independent thinkers. And so naturally, when there is a world that is tarnished by any form of evil, like uh, clearly Star Wars has a lot of evil in it, they are naturally going to be altered. Their their perceptions are going to be altered. And he might... I, I, I think that it could be foreshadowing of him potentially shifting away from only using it as a last resort to this is going this is my way of protecting people no matter what so even if the situation might not call for it he still might draw it and if he draws it 
he doesn't have to use it, but then you're starting to get down that slope. So I, I, I could see it heading that direction. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've noticed that sometimes with the thoughts of the Jedi so far in this book, there's almost a, a hint of naivety or uh, naivete, however, however it's pronounced, where... Mm-hmm where they are choosing to like believe that you know oh everyone has light in them you know that that the galaxy is a you know that it's a kind of the you know anything but peace is kind of un unthought of it's unheard of here yeah. and you know how bell here is you know you know like you're saying is considering it only as a last resort but will that you know i guess as the galaxy darkens from uh from the progression of the book as it as it goes will that change here and yeah it's uh i i wonder if the philosophy of the jedi will continue to evolve as the story goes on because it does seem like they kind of have a a view of the galaxy that's through kind of rose tinted lenses so far and i wonder if if that will uh change it's also i mean bell is a relatively newer apprentice so he doesn't have that you know like in in school you're taught one thing but then when you get into the the real world things change and you see how it's not as cut and dry. So I, I think we're going to see him start to experience that. Yeah. And that's why as Padawans, it's important to have the Jedi master with them to help explain that and basically be like their big brother, or big sister or big being. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, there's a lot of beings in, in Star Wars. So I think it's really important that that does show why that relationship is important. Obviously, we don't see it working all the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just looking at my note here, how kind of to add to your point of Bell maybe taking, you know, kind of his his outlook on the state of the galaxy as far as good and evil is concerned, it might change down the line because he he's thinking here that usually when people see a lightsaber, like it, that is kind of a warning to any enemy and like get, they're given kind of their last chance to decide not to fight. When they see a lightsaber, it's like, okay, maybe we should reconsider. And he's thinking, you know, wasn't that always the best outcome, you know, not to fight. And I do have to think that it doesn't seem that he has realized that there are people or beings in the galaxy who might just want to watch the world burn. You know, it, it seems like he hasn't yet come across that where he's used to, all right, when people see a, a lightsaber drawn, that's typically the end of the fight. You know, why would people want to fight at all? And it seems like there's still a lot left for Bell to learn, uh, that the galaxy might be a little bit more rougher than he might have been experienced to so it's far. the it's the golden age of the republic okay right, yeah. you know <laughs> he hasn't experienced I it forgot. yet <laughs> can't forget been, about it it's not been golden reading so far it's <laughs> yeah and he's thinking of the like i mentioned before he's thinking of the marauders as evil because you know that's the only way in his mind to describe people who would shoot into a crowd you know break into a compound and steal a starship when everyone's trying to flee the planet right now from imminent death and I was wondering that, you know, that is kind of a blatant form of evil, but could we also say the same things to the guards who stand on the walls just watching and standing by as these crowds of innocents try to save themselves? You know, wouldn't, you know, could we also say that of, of the guards? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there is a lack of humanity in this situation. Granted, it is the great disaster, and, and as we've seen, the entire galaxies kind of in turmoil in essence based off of everything that we've gotten to this point 
no one in the galaxy has ever come across a situation quite like this, at least in a very long time. If if the Old Republic is to be canon, as I hope some of it is, that was so long ago, and there might have been peace for so long that they don't seem to understand that this evil is lurking. They might think, okay, someone's going to rob, you know, but not, nothing to this extent that people in situations where there's so much panic tend to do things that they might regret later on and so i i tend to think that that's what these armed guards are doing is that they'll eventually when they reconcile with themselves what they'll find is that they they did make a mistake there and and it happens obviously i can hope that the guards like help out later on but we'll have to wait and see yeah you know it's not really a great look for them as the chapter continues and they go back on their agreement and start shooting at the jedi themselves you know but uh i that's why that i see i wanted you to get to that you know <laughs> yeah it's it not really you know i think with this book too you know especially uh you know in the moments where i think like oh okay they're working things out they solve things you know they made this agreement with the guards you know things are going to look up from here things tend to uh go the other way the downhill way as it turns out in this situation as uh charles soul is so great at doing is kind of flipping things on its head and causing just even more despair uh <laughs> have you have you noticed a theme in the first like 13 yep. chapters or so <laughs> but exactly yeah you think that everything's going to be just fine that they worked out a deal and again when it comes to situations of mass chaos i mean that's when you don't know if you can fully trust everything that you're you're getting and i think that that's an important lesson for the jedi as they start to discover the i guess we can call it the enemy behind all this is that they're not like ordinary citizens or or groups that they've seen that they won't act in the same way and they need and the jedi specifically need to adapt to how they're going to deal with the situation so yeah. I think it's a. I think we're starting to get towards that, where they're real. They're recognizing that the evil that they're dealing with isn't one that's going to act the same way as they would expect. I mean, anything about this situation, the great disaster as a whole, seems pretty novel to their experience. Where you know both Republic personnel and the Jedi have to really work together and use all of their strengths as a unit to to face this conflict and to to find these solutions where even as experienced and powerful as the Jedi are, this is the first time that they have to really do anything like this at this kind of scale, you know, with such a great disaster, pun intended. Uh, and great, not, not great like, oh, hell yeah, it's awesome, but like great as in magnitude. But, you know, Loden kind of reigns Bell in here when Bell's kind of flustered at, you know, why are they going back on their agreement? They're firing at us, and Loden says, quote, they're afraid. They're trying to carve out a little control from an uncontrollable situation. And I thought that was a pretty sound assessment from Loden, you know, where we can understand where they're coming from, because it's really a desperate situation for everyone involved. But we can also still be upset at them for deciding, oh, well, it looks like the Jedi are distracted. How about we uh, open fire? Like it's, uh, We can still be frustrated at them, but also I think it was pretty pretty sound and and astute judgment from Loden to recognize and tell Bell why they're probably doing this, which I thought was, you know, in the heat of the moment, it could have been easy to be frustrated and angry at them, but he kind of was a little bit cooler 
uh, and more collected than Bell was when there was that turn of events. Yeah, and, and I think it is worth noting that, as you've mentioned, they are on the they're a part of the Hetzel system at the time, which is in Outer Rim territory. It isn't fully governed by the Galactic Republic. It's still kind of in the development stage of that. So I think because of that, they're not used to the Jedi being so closely around them. So I I almost wonder if the guards didn't quite understand that these are people from the Republic. You know, I, I wonder if there is something like that at play. And that might just be stretching it a little bit. But it does make me kind of wonder a little bit how much that the Republic is involved in the far Outer Rim territories. I mean, because everything, from everything we've gathered, it's really the beginnings of the Republic starting to reach out to the Outer Rim. So that could actually be pretty valid where they might not, like, A, know who they're dealing with, which seems very likely, but also B, you know, they might not be aware that these are, you know, representatives of the Republic at the time. Where I guess when the chapter ends, we really see that they might not have understood exactly who they were dealing with as far as <laughs> Jedi go. Uh, but what do you mean? <laughs> I, I thought the fight went really well for them. <laughs> I mean, we, we have some really cool moments from Loden Greatstorm because uh, there was really a twist when the eight marauders like ended up escaping out of the 20 or so who were who stood to fight you know a bunch got disarmed but eight of them ended up fleeing into the crowd you know still armed they could have taken hostages as Loden is assessing and at that moment I started to worry because you know it's kind of looking into so many faces in a crowd and wondering who might just shoot you out of nowhere it was really it it upped the intensity even more if that's could even be possible but I really love this moment where, you know, Loden does tell Bell to protect him and, you know, Bell does uh, save Loden from a blaster bolt that really would have hit him in the chest right after he deactivated his lightsaber. So props to Bell, good reflexes. But something incredible happens when Loden reaches out his hand, he kind of spreads his fingers and he's concentrating and then suddenly these eight marauders in the crowd like shoot up into the air and they continue to rise and rise and rise before Loden drops them, leaving them crumpled and injured. No one died, but injured. Yeah. And that was a really fantastic scene, you know, how everyone kind of stopped to look at what was happening, like even the guards, just because what was happening was just so incredible and just out of nowhere. I, I wanted to talk about this and I wanted your take. If you thought that this was a light force move or a dark side oh, Sith force move. Oh, I see some because, old Republic coming in here. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a little bit because when you think about any form of disarm technique or, or any time that someone's been lifted in the air, the only time we see it is in a dark, used in a dark way. And, and I think it could have been Bell's fear of the for the lives of his master, for him, for all of the refugees out there, that I think that he used the force and used and, and had his fear kind of guide him to use the force in that way. Because like you said, they are hurt. He just had to disarm them. Yes, I think... 
I really think that Loden's hand might have been for his hand might have been forced here. Is that, <laughs> is that a pun? <laughs> yeah. Of I, I think his hand might have been forced because they realized that the situation was escalating, where even the refugees started fighting against these marauders. The guards are shooting. The marauders are fighting the the crowd, and I I don't think it might have been necessarily a dark force move i think maybe loden was able to because we've seen this happen once in the previous chapter and i think in master and apprentice as well where jedi are able to sense the emotions of others and he might have been able to pick up on the emotions of these eight individuals which probably were very different than the emotions of the refugees and i think maybe he'd kind of just how like someone lifts an object with a force he might have done the same thing with just people because i don't think he like I guess he did mean to hurt them because he needed to stop them, and there, yeah. you know, there might not have been another way. But I don't know. That's a good question. I'd be interested to hear what the listeners might think because I don't think that Loden would use a dark move. But you know, in a desperate situation, would he have kind of tapped into that a little bit? Because I don't know. I, I think the fall hurt them more than the force. Yes, itself. true. True. Because I mean, they are lifted significantly up in the air. So it, it might not be that the force ended up constricting them and like hurting yeah. them, but it, it most likely was the fall. It's more like gray area now, but it, I still think that it was slightly out of fear of how the situation could continue to turn and the safety. So I, I wish that we could get that perspective mm. of was it out of fear? Was it out of the safety? Like, I, I wonder what his thoughts were going into it, you know? Yeah, I do think that kind of fear of where the situation could continue to turn if the chaos kept happening, if it kept continuing. I think, you know, kind of that anxiety fear of how things could have been just getting worse might have played a part there because yeah it's a desperate situation where really that was kind of a last resort of what you know he had to do because they were disarming the the marauders but then he had to kind of pull a trick out of the hat um in this situation because really i couldn't have told you aside from what he did there of how they would have been able to locate these eight individuals in the crowd and stop things from getting worse without you know there being some serious violence you know if, if they had to resort to killing the marauders so that's a great question <laughs> also i mean loden's laden loden however you want to pronounce it his lightsaber is yellow so there is and as we've seen the only other well not the only other but the main person that we know in star wars who ends up with a yellow lightsaber is ray and Ray used some dark side, and and she is kind of like that grayish area Jedi. So I wonder if there is some significance in the in the the authors and and Star Wars and Disney and George Lucas and everyone's trying to connect these dots, you know? I, I or we're, we're stretching, but either way, I think it's <laughs> it, it could be we're stretching. But I like the I like the idea of that. There's some significance. There. You're going outside the box, which I really appreciate. Yeah. I would not have even thought about making that connection, but you know, because I do, I do know that there is symbolism behind the crystal, the the kyber crystal color that you know Jedi have as far as their connection and role with the Force. And I wonder if you know maybe yeah, if Loden was making that cool before Ray did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the chapter does finish with a really awesome note there, where after Loden you know incapacitates these marauders. 
He locks eyes with the leader of the guards on the wall, and he points his lightsaber hilt at the gate, and when he activates it, the gates just blow open inward, uh, you know, almost off their hinges, and the guards kind of just drop their weapons like, okay, and I think Loden shouts at him, you know, now do you understand? Uh, and I think there might have been some frustration there from Loden, where he's, they might have exasperated him and forced his hand there, where... You know, he wasn't about kicking down the door, but the situation called for it and he did what needed to be done uh, and yeah. in, a, in a really cool and stylish way. So I, I love that. That's why I really believe that the guards and the whole planet aren't used to Republic intervening as closely as they've been doing because I the guards must have been like, oh my gosh, these people are part of the attack or something, you know. Maybe they want to steal the ship to get off. And I think it's a panicked situation combined with very little Republic intervention to this point led the guards to be confused. Could be, you know, and clearly they, again, they might not have known exactly the capabilities of who they were dealing with. It seemed like there was some kind of understanding of, okay, these are Jedi, you know, based on their ceremonial garb and all that, but as far as what they can actually do, because that's also come up in the previously in the book where people have thought, like uh, civilians have thought, or at least I think it was Joss Adrin who will come up in the, I think, chapter 15, where they wonder to themselves, wait, so I know the Jedi can do cool things, but like what? can they actually do you know there is some kind of like a mystery element around the jedi still and especially like you're saying which could be more prevalent in the outer rim with really the the republic only beginning now to make their stretches into the outer rim so there could be that factor as well i like that a lot yeah it'll be interesting to see how it develops yeah for sure So the chapter does end with them sensing that something is wrong from Master Chris, and so we can find out what's going on there in Chapter 14 after I give my summary. On the bridge of the Third Horizon, Master Avar Chris takes some comfort in knowing that no more objects have appeared from hyperspace, and that more Jedi have arrived to their aid. While Admiral Krenara is confident that the worst is now behind them, Master Chris can't shake the feeling that something is still wrong. As Cronara goes to update Chancellor So on their progress, Chris's attention is drawn by the Force to one of the anomalies deep in the system. After consulting with a lieutenant, she finds out the object is on a collision course with one of Hetzel's sons, and asks the officer to find more information on the projectile. After discerning more intel from the Minister of Technology, Kevin Tarr, the officer informs Master Chris and Admiral Cronara that the object is a leaking container of highly flammable liquid Tabana. This was a big old twist at the end of the chapter when they find out that this container is carrying Tabana, which I remember from the Thrawn book, you know, we've learned in that book that is very highly flammable, very sensitive, explosive gas liquid substance that, um, you know, it can be very volatile if it's not handled correctly. So, you know, given that drama, uh, before we kind of dive into 14, what did you think about this chapter and how the stakes somehow find a way to just rise and rise and rise? They do call it the great disaster for a reason. Uh, (laughs) I'm noticing this theme as as we keep going, but honestly, for me, this is when I see I finished the book, so I, I'm going to keep it spoiler free as always. But this is when I really started to see a clear picture of 
how we're going to continue to progress throughout the story. So for me, this is when I really got into it. It didn't feel as close of character development as plot development. So so for me, this is when I really started to, you know, I, I should have been working, but then I started paying a little bit more attention to the, the audiobook a, a little bit more closely these past few chapters. So it is one of the better chapters because it kind of leaves you on this cliffhanger of, oh my gosh, a- as you discussed in the Thrawn book, we know that it's highly explosive and if it's going towards the sun that's not great not so, good at all <laughs> not not good at all not i wouldn't say terrible but disastrous you know <laughs> greatly so, disastrous yeah greatly disastrous <laughs> <laughs> so it, it did take it up a notch and definitely was a was a pretty heavy talking chapter but great detail in it yeah especially with how the plot just thickens somehow again you know and especially with this with this development and I'll I'll offer a few thoughts about it once we get to the end of this chapter but it does start with Avar she's on the bridge and you know she's thinking that there's still something that she's missing because I think in one of the previous chapters there was this you know as she's listening to her Spotify playlist of the force you know there was some there was a note (laughs) that was missing there was a note that was missing in this song with the force that she was listening to and so she's she's wondering about that, you know, what it could be, that there's something still wrong that she's not seeing. And, you know, meanwhile, it's just, I had to, like, facepalm with Admiral Cronara, you know, thinking things are pretty much done and dusted. He says, oh, quote, yeah. I should know better than to say this, but I believe the worst might be over. And I'm just like... So then why would you say it? <laughs> why? <laughs> Don't say it. That's literally, like, there's a thing called jinx, and it's even in the Star Wars universe. Don't jinx things. <laughs> I, th- I just really wonder what's going on through his head, especially at the end of the chapter when he's, he probably is kicking himself where it's like, ah, I just had to say it, right? He just willed just it into qu- existence. Yeah. <laughs> he like goes back to his cabin. He's just like, <laughs> just like I should have shut my cussing. mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like cussing underneath his bre- breath, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's just, come on, Cronara. Like he didn't give off some good vibes in one of the earlier chapters where it's like, oh, we're doing a rescue mission now, you know, on top of everything else. And now here he says the infamous words you know pretty much the equivalent of what could possibly go wrong it's like well you asked admiral so yeah exactly well also i it kind of makes me laugh because he's talking about oh a rescue mission but this is like if this is the goal i'm gonna do it again the golden age like he hasn't had much action this should be exciting he's getting to use his like battle i mean it's not battle but he's getting to use his like knowledge and he's just like ah another rescue mission like ah but you know i think you know once he thinks that things are taken care of you know that's as any soldier would be you know happy with it's like oh we we did the thing let's you know we can go home now um but you know but avar does notice her attention is is drawn by the force to this anomaly on kind of the screen in front of her to this object that basically it is on a path it is on course for one of the system's three suns so it's going to fall into it and basically get vaporized so you know the lieutenant is saying oh we don't have to worry about it it'll get vaporized thankfully we don't have any ships near it you know in case you know something were to happen but as it turns out i guess they would have wanted to have ships there because uh you know of the discovery that we make but you know as reading this for the first time you know when chris is saying no there's got to be something more about this object can you find anything else out about it I was, you know, I had written in my margins, you know, that I got some foreboding vibes about, 
if it would cause some kind of explosion with the sun. Because that's the only kind of conclusion that I could have come up with from something that's about to hit the sun. And she's thinking, no, something's wrong there. And so I think instantly I figured this is going to be some kind of explosion or something. Like, it's just, it's not good. But it's just the, the way that Soul is able to write this really suspense when we think that things, you know, might be trending upward. You know, it went from rescue to now situation management. But here he's able to kind of drop that in there and be like, huh, you know, maybe you might want to pay some more attention about this simple object floating towards the sun. And I just, it's just foreboding vibes just instantly. It's the textbook definition of, I have a bad feeling about this. Yeah. It, it textbook of it. So I do like it. It seems very on par for Chris to not pass up on the little details from everything that we've gathered so far being a jedi master i'm not surprised you know that one of the focuses for for chris is you know the details and and finding everything else out there were some things with like her personality that is very it, it's very on par for her to be like no i don't think so there's let's something. let's check this out yeah yeah especially if the force kind of directed her there like we know that there's there's got to be something and she's on top of things and they're able to find out the truth there you know where the officer runs back and you know he's pale and looking despairing and he tells them the truth that it's carrying liquid to bana and i wonder because that is how the chapter ends with that discovery i wonder because i think last episode i had hypothesized that this timed impact would be I, I thought it was you know back when Captain uh, Cassett kind of maneuvered the legacy run around that big old object in the hyperspace lane and back in chapter one I kind of hypothesized that the time to impact was whatever that big thing that they dodged if that would be the impact if it was some because I think Master Chris thought like oh there's some big note that I'm missing and I wondered if that big thing would be would create some kind of impact if it was going to enter the system or something like that but now i think i've kind of adjusted my theory i think it might be this object when it says you know at the start of each chapter you know 30 minutes to impact 20 minutes to impact i think now that this is what that impact is it just it makes sense now but that's that's the best i've got right now i used to think it was that big hyperspace lane object but now i think it's it's this this container of leaking tabana and i think this is now the time to impact which at least now i know or i think i do but it's just the suspense continues so yeah. much well it's also it's interesting so like you have the leaking tabana how close does it have to be for that to catch when you oh. when you think about it like it's leaving a trail if if, if it's pushing towards the sun you have the trail. I I know. I know. You have the trail oh. that it also with the gas. So if it no. ignites, it's gonna keep igniting all the way down the line. No, I listeners. You I have my think about literal that? hand, like my face and my hands right now. <laughs> oh, like no. there's a lot to consider here when you, when you take into account that it's leaking. When you really think about that, oh, it no. heightens things even more on what's what could happen. You know, and what might happen <laughs> well i'm not prepared anymore <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> You're broken mate Gee, well, oh, well think no. about where the the initial impact of the ship is like yes. where where it, where it appears so that would be where the first portion of the leak starts and i don't like i don't have a measurement in front so it but it's traveled quite a bit oh, and God. so it, it is potential catastrophe and so that is 
like why this chapter really did it for me is because you start to click that oh my gosh this like it could be they're bad. not past even they're not even past like the worst of it you know like in theory this with how explosive tabana gas is this is the worst of it wow like by definition <laughs> yeah oh geez uh well i guess i'm not ready anymore for you know if this is truly the the impact that is we're kind of ticking towards oh <laughs> it's gonna be well, so bad because i knew that the do you, want, the do you imp- want me to add to it even more for you would that would that be helpful to add even more uh to I like no <laughs> <laughs> so the stars that it's heading to is our class i didn't know what that meant i didn't i didn't look it i up. had to look this up so i'm gonna I, I will i will inform you guys but it, i don't think it contains any spoiler the r class are extremely volatile when introduced to significant amounts of super cooled liquid t- uh, tabana oh, to geez. the point that it can create a supernova oh my god and that would also inject radiation across the like the galaxy basically and there are like th- there are two other suns like near it or there's three suns in the system so i wonder if that would like have a chain I would imagine. sun reaction <laughs> i i'd like so i don't know i know but we don't know which sun it's going towards yet yeah so if it hits a small one how much does that reverberate to the bigger ones if it misses if it hits a bigger one instantly how much does that impact things that is simply to me was enough to raise the stakes is knowing that because knowing me i had to look up the r class thing right away because i was like okay i'm not going to get much context on this maybe i will but i didn't know i was going to get a lot of context on it so i was like i need to look this up and it's like super nitrogen heavy compositions combined with highly explosive tabana gas like yeah so things are not going to be good if they can't find a way to stop that thing. I mean, because I know that it would be bad if the object itself made impact, but I did not think about all the other variables and all the other factors at play because, you know, I did not look up the R-class. But I guess in the in the context of what he was saying, you know, it's the star, the sun, the star is an R-class. I could tell it, it was, you know bad like that that was uh you know something i wanted to know how Uh, bad it was i don't know i don't want to know how bad this can get i mm. i hate to say it but it seems like everything's gearing towards finding out how bad this could be you know because i thought that things (laughs) things have already been so bad and disastrous so far and just you know, because I think in, you know, when it's going through the chapter numbers, you know, I think the first part, The Great Disaster, only has a few chapters left before it goes to part two. So I wonder if there will be a climactic end where the galaxy blows up. But <laughs> could you imagine the the High Republic, you know, they, they decided instead of calling it like the end of like the, the dark age, they just were like, yeah, it's the, it's the end of the age. It's the yeah, end of the, the end High of Republic. The, yeah. <laughs> it's just the end of the Republic, you know? And then Star Wars kind of resets, you know, Skywalker's yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everything, everything ends. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what a way to end that chapter. And, and, you know, as, as the next chapter ends as well, more Jedi will understand that there's something gravely wrong there. So how about I, keep rolling with my summary for chapter 15 and we can we can feel you know a little bit better about things before also being reminded that oh chris knows that there's something terribly wrong so i'll give my summary (laughs) then we can dive into 15. above the fruited moon 
Master Tsuyami, and the accompanying vectors and long beam are in striking range of the compartment carrying the living beings. All of the Jedi reach out with the Force, surrounding the object with their grasp, preparing to slow it as best they can for the long beam to attach its mag clamps to it. As if using a lasso with the Force, the Jedi strain to slow the compartment. On the long beam, Joss Adrin fires four mag clamps at the object, making contact with three of them. However, the Jedi feel the compartment start to break apart under the strain and hurry to keep it in one piece with the Force. After some tense moments, they are able to bring the object to a slow halt. As Joss and Pika start to reel it in, all the Jedi feel a call for help through the Force for Master Chris. So, you know, I, I will say that we do have like a, a small victory here where they are where they are able to stop this object. Uh, you know, I was really wondering if, you know, if it would work and, and the plan does. And then we're thrown right back into the fire after that, directly after that. But what were your impressions about chapter 15 before we talk about it? There's a lot of Jedi. <laughs> that was like my biggest takeaway. I was like, wow, there's like a lot of Jedi and like we're still learning all the characters and everything but to see I don't think that we really see other than in episode two when all the Jedi come to I'm, I'm blanking on the name Geonosis right now. Geonosis <laughs> thank you I I was like it's the bug planet it gets destroyed <laughs> by the Death Star I know that much but like rip again yeah. uh, <laughs> but there's very few times that we can really see how many Jedi like when when the full presence of the Jedi come together, and and for me this was one of those times that you get to see the the Jedi aiding as a unit more than just individuals being spread so scarcely across the galaxy. So it was a really cool scene in that regard. It gave me those those vibes of Attack of the Clones. Um, so which is good in in the regard of the Jedi coming together. Obviously, Attack of the Clones has some other stuff yeah. that we, we don't necessarily <laughs> like. Um, like sand. I don't like sand. Yep. Uh. It's <laughs> rough and irritating. Gets everywhere. Uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Good thing this isn't a sand planet. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it might I be. Also... Yeah. It might yeah, turn I... into sand and dust if everything blows up. So who knows? Yeah, true. Good point. Good point. It'll be pretty barren. <laughs> It'll be pretty barren in about 20 minutes now at this yeah. point. <laughs> so I really do like how we see all the Jedi working together. It is a little far-fetched for me to be like, they were able to stop this thing moving so quickly, but I I could overlook it, you know. It's one aspect of it, but I still I still liked it. There are four of them. I don't know if if Burry, when they disconnected him from kind of their force connection, if if he didn't play a part in slowing the object, but even, you know, with three Jedi Masters and they're really all of their energy because they're exhausted afterwards, you know, combining their efforts, it was hard, but I think, you know, as is kind of one of the themes of this chapter is that they couldn't do it without Joss and Pika, without the Republic, you know, the volunteers with them. So I think that even if it was just the Jedi, they would have not been able to, but, yeah. you know, I think as as we'd mentioned, kind of the combined strength and, and force of the Republic as well as the Jedi, I think only then is it, you know, feasible or possible. So credit to Joss and Pika there. 100%, yes. You can't, it, it, I should not have overlooked them in their role that they Come played. on, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but, you know, we do get a re- another round of this optimistic language, uh, you know, continuing <laughs> the theme from Admiral Cronara, where Tayami is thinking that, quote, the Jedi and the Republic were here and they would save the lives of every last one of those people and everyone on the fruited moon, too. And I'm just so cautious that right now, you know, where when anyone thinks positively in this book at this moment, where it's just, <laughs> I really want them to succeed and they end up succeeding with this compartment. But Charles Soule has really reduced my ability to trust so far. So it's just when she thinks like that, I'm just like, it's not going to end well, will it? So I just my trust, my ability to trust is just shot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there it's hard to trust in this book because we've seen how many times it's gone completely worse. So they really just need to be like uh, 20 years from now, they can say, oh yeah, this is, I think we're finally past the worst part. Then it might, might be safe. But up until then, I don't know if it'll ever actually be uh, safe with everything that's happened uh, regarding this. It doesn't seem so. <laughs> no, no, it definitely doesn't. I do think that this element that they saw and, and the talk of how the Republic and the Jedi are here, I think that this, because of so far how well that they've handled this crisis, I think that you will start to see those Outer Rim territories when we think about the the whole universe as a whole the whole universe as a whole (laughs) when you think about the whole galaxy i'm just gonna go with galaxy that's that's safer we'll see how the outer rim territory start to raise their hands for republic support i think a little bit more and and that you'll see the republic venturing out there because of how so far they've handled this situation yeah they really have come together unless it all blows up or something (laughs) had to say (laughs) unless you know barring if anything blows up or if everything blows up you know it has been an impressive coming together and show of togetherness and unity from the republic and the jedi really like you're saying working as this unit and if that will kind of set the example and kind of inspire these other outer rim territories to be like all right you know maybe we can buy into this after we're seeing really the fantastic humanitarian effort that's happening in the Hetzal system uh, right now. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool how they do kind of use the force as a lasso in the compartment pretty much, you know, where they all reach out and encompass it and then try to control it from there. And uh, I thought of you when I was typing my notes because I was like, I don't (laughs) think that I remember unlocking the force lasso ability in KOTOR, but... uh... I, that is a new one for me. If, it would be great if all the Jedi were wearing like cowboy hats or something and then they're just like giddy up and just <laughs> launching a, la- a force lasso. They could have played really into this. I, I would be for it. All joking aside, I think that is a relatively new force ability. I feel like it's a force pull more than anything. Like a combined um, pull. <laughs> yeah. Like two of them were pulling and then two of them were pushing off to keep it off the planet, you know, stuff like that. Uh, it also could be that naturally with the the way that the gravity is working, that they might have only had a for- it basically force push it. Uh, just thinking physics wise, because you already have the gravity counteracting it, but also it's the force. So like, does gravity really count when the force is used? You know, <laughs> force breaks the laws of physics. <laughs> it does. It does. So I, I definitely think that it is a relatively newer ability. And I wonder if it can only be achieved because they had so many masters working on and combining their force abilities as one. 
it does go to show the extent that Jedi go to save just any civilian's lives. And I think that does speak, again, the volumes of we see what the Republic was intended for, and then we see where it ended. You know, that's really true, where we see what it can do at its best. You know, things might not be great now, but as far as the Republic and how it functions with the Jedi, we see the great things that it can do, that can happen. And then, like you're saying, we know how things progress and how things end, you know, with the Clone Wars and all that, where there's a lot of splintering that ends up happening and, and mistrust and all that. So it's uh, it's it's great to see in these moments. And then it also kind of hurts when we think about the larger picture and how things will. I don't know how, but, I, you know, as I continue to read, things will change for the worse because it kind of only goes downhill from here. So I do really love the description of the moment when they kind of close the lasso and the loop of the force around this object where even though Tayami wasn't like physically slowing it down you know she was in her vector she felt as if she were through the connection with the force and I think it said that she felt as if you know she were pretty much being yanked through space as if by you know the wild animal she was trying to lasso and I just love that you know a little bit of description where I think she felt kind of the air kind of get whooshed out of her lungs as soon as they made that pull with it and I just love that um I just love that writing and that description of what the actual execution of this force ability with this fast moving object felt like for someone actually doing it. Because we, you know, we've often seen and read about, you know, the result of using the force, but the actual process of this really difficult feat. It was uh, it was just interesting to read how it was uh, even though she was in the safety of her ship, she did like still feel it, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. I like to think that we're going to see new force abilities being brought up. Force lasso. Um, force lasso being the first one. Because I, I think that there is room to explore that within the Old Republic and the High Republic. I think that there is this great room of we can show things new, but they were lost with the old ways. You know, like that, mm. that was the old way of doing things, but we can see these new cool items as a result. So I, I think the, the lasso is the, the takeoff. I really yeah. do. <laughs> it's, the, it's the start point. It's the the jump. Yeah. You know, it's the first uh, stepping stone. <laughs> well, once you get lassoed, you can't go back. <laughs> exactly. Is that is that going to be the Star Wars version of Ted Lasso? Just force lasso and <laughs> it, it motivationally talking to you as you're being force pulled in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so with the unity of the Jedi and the Republic really on display here, with the Jedi using the force to slow and hold the object together. And the Republic personnel, you know, attaching the clamps and pulling it to a halt, it works. And, you know, I really could not believe it that it did. You know, at least for the time being, they were able to stop the object. And, you know, they're reeling it in to bring these passengers to safety or at least get them to somewhere where they can be safe. But or from chapters in the book, which have been often uh, bereft of hope and good things, it was a nice feeling to have where... You know, they did the thing. They did the hard thing. And it was just refreshing, even though, just like with chapter 13, we only really got to celebrate for like half a page before they're thrown right back into something else. But they did it. And I was surprised. I was not expecting it. But it was still nice to see their efforts as a combined unit pay off here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it seems to be like a theme of the, the book where you do get a sense of breathing room. But not for long. And I think that's intentional based around, you know, this is the great disaster and, and there's so much panic in the galaxy. I think that that's the intention behind the writing is to give us 
a sense of security for a second and then dive us back into another emergency that's unfolding. And so I, I really think that is intentional with the slight breathing room to then be right back into it. Yeah, it really is a workout for the uh, for the heartstrings where it's, you know, we really don't have a, a chance to rest or breathe before it's like either the, the tension increases or the dial is turned up or something new happens every time. Because, uh, you know, yeah, as they are kind of taking a breath and, you know, they're about to reel these people in, or at least Joss and Pika are, the Jedi are kind of recovering because they're all really exhausted from what just happened. There is this ending to the chapter, which I will read for us quote a huge flash of alarm shot through the system-wide net of awareness being maintained by avar chris again no words but if the sensation could be translated it would be just these words jedi you are needed now something was very very wrong so yeah we don't really get to celebrate for a while but as uh, as this first part to the book has gone there's really not a chance for reprieve before you know if we thought things were worse as we've talked about with the revelation in chapter 14 things could still get very very bad and you know really they after doing one great thing can they do a next great thing i don't know but that is where this chapter ends and you know just to make it even worse i'll just remind you again that it's leaking to banna and that it's spread across all sorts of miles upon miles, but maybe even parsecs at this point, you know. <laughs> really aching for that reminder, man. Thanks so much. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just saying, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, all right, Admiral Cronara. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Matt, this is, you know, where the chapter ends. This is where our episode ends. How are you feeling after chapters 13, 14, 15? I mean, you know everything that happens, but as far as what we've talked about today, how are you feeling? I'm feeling like this was a good hour-long discussion of Star Wars. It was like exactly what I needed to get started on my week. I think you're in for a real treat for the rest of the the book. I, I really do. It is arguably one of the best books that I've read from Star Wars. Definitely up there. I'm still biased towards Thrawn, you know, the as same, you are same. too, so... <laughs> But that being said, it is really fun. It is really exciting because you get to meet all these new characters. And like I said, you're in for a real good treat. Yeah, well, speaking of fun and exciting and characters, if the listeners wanted to hear more of your voice, you know, and your work, if they wanted to find out more about what you do, could you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your show and where the listeners could find you and uh, give a follow? If, if you somehow like my voice, first off, props to you. I really appreciate it. If you want to check out the Wannabe Jedi podcast, that is the show that I'm a co-host of. We look at characters individually, one episode at a time. We've gone through Obi-Wan, Anakin, Darth Vader. Um, we're coming up on Leia. That will be a little bit of a spoiler, but Leia is on the horizon. So we've we've tackled some major characters. We've tackled some small characters. One of my favorite episodes is Aura Singh because we get to see my co-host just rage. And it is it is fantastic. But yeah, we, we keep it lighthearted. As you can see, I do like to poke fun at Star Wars because it is, at the end of the day, they're movies, they're TV shows, they're books. It's meant to be enjoyed. So if I'm not 
laughing about it. I'm probably not enjoying it as much, or at least parts of it. You know, there are some serious parts, obviously. But yeah, so if, if you're interested in learning about Star Wars characters or just having a good like laugh at the reviews of us enjoying Star Wars characters, definitely check out the Wannabe Jedi podcast. You can find it where any podcasts are, uh, where you get your podcasts from. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Matt. I really can't recommend your show enough. Uh, you know, you're talking about how you often have a laugh about things, and that is one of my favorite parts of your show is just the lighthearted and just good-natured approach that you and uh, Josh take to to what you do. So I really appreciate your work. I appreciate you coming on the show to talk about some Light of the Jedi. Thank you so much for making this happen. Yeah, definitely. And I, I do. I will plug the show that you did with us, uh, oh, Thrawn. Cool. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> talked about my favorite character that was exactly great. we gotta we gotta have you on for that so make sure to go check that out if you want to hear more from andrew and all of the the gimmicks that happened because there, there were quite a few uh on that show so it was a i appreciate time. it <laughs> i i really enjoyed being on the show here and and thank you for having me thank you so much man before we close out today i'll give our next search your readings discussion question bell zedifar thinks about the lightsaber as a weapon of last resort as a tool to maintain peace rather than to injure or kill needlessly. Do you think that philosophy of the Jedi Order changes under the surface by the time of and during the prequels? Why or why not? I will post the question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Comment and send your responses on any of those platforms, or you can send them via email to outerrimreadspod at gmail.com with the subject line, search your readings. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay connected to the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Outer Rim Reads Pod. If you'd like to support the show for as little as $3 a month, you can do so at patreon.com slash Outer Rim Reads. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Gayhod, is hosted by Andrew Gayhod, is edited by Connor Floyd, and is produced by Andrew Geha as well as Simon Van Bakum. We will be back in two weeks with episode 46. So until then, sit back and enjoy. I've been practicing this Force Lasso ability. Let's see if I can lasso that mug of Vistulo Brandale over there. Ooh. Sorry. Ah, I guess I should help him out. <laughs>